0: Welcome to the Wealth Easy Podcast, your destination for insights on wealth, health, and real estate. I'm your host, John Durbanum. I went from former financial advisor for a big bank to now educating people on how to plug your financial leaks and create your rich life without using the stock market. Before we dive in, please hit that subscribe button and share it with others. By subscribing, you're helping the show grow using the algorithm and allows us to get even more successful guests on the show. Now let's begin creating your rich life. Welcome back to the wealth easy show where we talk all things, wealth, health, and real estate today, folks, I've got a real special treat for you. We're going to be discussing what it takes to be an entrepreneur and to help with this discussion is a man who has scaled his tanning salon business from one location to 70 locations and on his way to 250 locations. This man has amassed a real estate portfolio, both residential and commercial properties. Please welcome to the show, the CEO of Glow Tanning, Anya Odinukwe. Welcome, buddy.
1: Thank you, I appreciate you guys having me.
0: Yeah, thank you for having on um, because I, I've been following your content for a while now and I reached out and I said, listen, I, I love your stuff. Um, I love the fact that you know, you, you, you're an entrepreneur, like myself. You're in the real estate game, like myself, and that's what this show is about. And I reached out to you and you responded really quickly. So thank you for uh, for responding and uh, getting on the show. So that's this is going to be great. I think this is going to be a really great conversation for our listeners today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Give, give us a two-minute bio about yourself.
1: Yeah. So um started uh, GLOW when I was uh, 21. Um, I, I just turned 36 and um, started at you know on a whim it wasn't um you know there wasn't no reason to, to per se open a tank salon and um you know just kind of tried it out got a mentor uh probably about three four years in uh, which definitely helped and scaled it up from there um I actually had an exit uh you know a, a multi-seven figure exit uh 2018 and was going to go do you know something else and um and then, you know, just kind of figured, hey, I'm already good at this, so I'll go somewhere outside of my non-compete, which was in the state of Arkansas. And I uh, went to Oklahoma and <clears throat> kind of just expanded the brand. And then we're getting right back in Arkansas now because it's been, it's past our five year non-compete window. So it's really kind of it. And then probably about three, a little over three years ago, I um, started purchasing the um, real estate that we, that we're in. So buying, you know, the buildings, um, you know, that we, that we occupy. So also becoming the landlord.
0: That's awesome. That's kind of like the McDonald's model, right? I mean, they're not a burger, they're not a burger company. They're a real estate company.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's kind of the exact same thing. So up to, um, I have 500 contracts so far this year. So that'll put me at 21.
0: That's amazing. Now you're located in Dallas, right? Did, did glow Glow tanning started in Dallas?
1: No, I started in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So I went to University of Arkansas, so a started with Arkansas, and then moved to Dallas about um, three and a half years ago. How do you feel about the Cowboys this year? <laughs> not a Cowboys fan. Right? Oh, you're not? I'm not okay. No. I'm not, I'm not anti-Cowboys either. But I'm just not a Cowboys fan, but uh, I, I mean, I expected them to do what they did, if that makes any yeah. sense. Who's your NFL team? Uh, born in Boston, so I was a Patriots fan, but then I have a couple houses in Tampa, and right Brady we went down there, so I, so, you know, We got a box down there, so um, kind of a mix between Tampa and and New England. Okay, I'm I'm a big Steelers fan, so yeah, I like the Steelers Steelers too. I like I kind of like the owner, I like the coach. So yeah,
0: like. So I used to I had a home in Sarasota for uh, for several years, uh, from 2009 to 2016, and no 15 sold in 15. So um, I was at the Super Bowl in Tampa uh, when they, when they, when they played Arizona,
1: 2021,
0: uh, no, 2009, 2009, 2009 Steelers, okay, 2009, 2009, Steelers, yeah, yeah. Steelers in Arizona. So yeah, I was, I was there and it was, uh, it was, it was, it was quite the, uh, quite the experience is funny because I never got a chance to actually get inside my buddy and I, we went down really early cause it's, it's only an hour drive from Sarasota to Tampa. Yeah. We got there really early and we decided, you know what? prices were really high at that time at one o'clock in the afternoon. We we're trying to get, you know, spend maybe 1500 bucks on a ticket. And they were starting around 2,500. We thought oh, we'll come back around five o'clock and they'll, they'll, they'll probably have dropped. We ended up finding a, a right across the street from uh, Raymond James stadium, this uh, tent. And we just got completely shit faced in there by five o'clock. And we we're like, this is the best place. It was 20 bucks back then. All you can drink. And we had the we had screens everywhere. The place was filling up. We're like, we're in the best location. Let's just stay here. And we had the greatest time with everybody right across from the stadium when they and they won. So that was uh, that was my experience at the Super Bowl in uh, 2009 with the Steelers. Yeah. So you're on your Instagram. You're known as the sweatpant Millionaire. How did you come
1: up with that name? My name uh, initially on there was Mr. Arkansas. I was, I was uh, used to be a bodybuilder. So I was Mr. Yeah. Arkansas Bodybuilding Champ for a couple of years. And, and then I was, um, you know, moving to, to Dallas. So I was like, you know, it's, it's a little confusing. I'm not in Arkansas anymore. Um, so some one of my friends was like, you know, I go to every meeting I go to, um, I'm pretty dressed down, like sweatpants, T-shirt. Um, I don't, I don't dress up for anybody, you know. Um, I dress up for you guys a little bit. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, for, for the most part, I, I don't, because I kind of looked at it and said, okay, every meeting that I, you know, Back in the day, I had to get um, you know, appearances matter, um, in the in the sense of, you know, it's young black kid trying to rent this spot. Will we let him? You know, I had to get a cosign from not an actual cosign, but people had to like go call somebody, say he's a good guy, whatever. So after, you know, a couple of years, and once I had a semblance of success, I said, Fuck that. I'm not dressing up for anybody. I'm coming as I as I am. And you know? Um, so because I was always like in sweatpants, and, you know, I used to work out, um, all the time, whatever. Um, then that was how kind of how the name came about. That's cool. That's awesome.
0: I, I did some bodybuilding. I, I train, I've been trained now 35 years. I'm 52. So I started when I was 15 years old and I did my first show when I was 23. And then I did my second one. I got my ass whooped. <laughs> and then I went back on stage when I was 28 and then I went right to about 31. So here in Canada, we have provinces. You guys have States. So I ended up going to level three, which was the provincials and uh, ended up tearing, tearing uh, uh, my shoulder up and oh, didn't no. bother competing. And that was my bodybuilding stint. So right up until about 31, I competed and now I just, I just trained, just, just, just the same prepared. shape. Yeah. No, yeah. For sure. I yeah. So. so, um, you became an entrepreneur at a really young age. And I love the story that you were telling on another podcast. I heard you on the hard knocks podcast and you were telling a story how you were selling candy bars at the school. So you, you, got a taste, you got a taste of entrepreneurship at a really young age. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, it was back in the day, uh, the dollar store used to be like three, three full-size candy bars for a dollar. Right. This is uh, 2000, 2000. 2000, 2001. So I was probably like 13, 14. And um, so, so, anyways, so me and my brother we went to the store and we started off with like a dollar each and bought, uh, you know, six candy bars or five candy bars after taxes and took it to, to school, sold it for a dollar a piece. You know, kids were using their lunch money, took those five, flipped it into 15, 15 to 45, um, and, and until we were up to, you know, almost a thousand bucks. Um, and then we, we got caught. Um, they suspended us, took the money give <laughs> you know, it back to all the kids or whatever. Um, so, so yeah, so I've always kind of been a hustler from, from day one.
0: This shit is not suspending, got you to teach a course on, on becoming an entrepreneur. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, 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 you, you know how I was back in the day. I mean, now I, I feel like awareness, obviously with podcasts like this, uh, awareness is for entrepreneurship and stuff like that is a lot larger, but you know, we've always been, uh, you know big on just following a regimented system school and the way you kind of do it and and we're realizing that um that's just not how you create real wealth like nobody created real wealth from going to school you know the best you could probably do is be a high-shot lawyer or um a you know really good doctor right um, well, you come uh, with, you
0: come from a family of doctors right your your father's yeah. a surgeon your mom's a psychologist
1: Yep. So and and you know, um, for me, uh, I finished college in 15 years late. So probably about three years ago, just to just for my mom to get the degree. Mm-hmm. And um, but you know, my my extended family is all super educated. Um, you know, everybody's a doctor, lawyer, engineer, my sister's a lawyer. Um, and out of, you know, all of them I, I make the most money. And I'm the least educated out of the bunch. So, you know, we know that. School's not, school teaches you how to be a good employee, basically. <laughs> Elon Musk didn't go to college. He dropped yeah. out, right? Richest yep. man on the planet. Yep. And I, I think Bill Gates did too. Um, yeah, Bill Gates dropped know, Bill, out. Bill Gates, uh, yeah, all the, all, every, Mark Zuckerberg did, you know, and all these guys are super smart and they went to, you know, they dropped out of Harvard, right? So, so these guys were, were, you know, extremely smart, but those places don't curate um, great ideas,
0: You know who Dan Balzerian is?
1: Yes. So I heard him on a
0: show. He said that he dropped out of college. I mean, the guy's worth like, I think, 250, 300 million bucks. And one day, the professor was giving him shit for something. And he just stood up. He said, how much did you make last year? And he told him, he goes, motherfucker, I just made that last night in a poker game. He goes "And you're trying to teach me? Get the fuck out of here. And the guy walked out and he dropped out and that was it. Right. And it goes on now. He's like, he's worth like $300 million.
1: Yeah. What, what benefit for my kids? I'm going to encourage them to go to school. I'm also encouraging them to go to college, but that's, that's more for the social aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then also there's always a, a, there's always, it's always good to have a good baseline of knowledge in general, but thinking that your school is going to be the reason why you make money is just not the case. No, so. uh,
0: you're hundred percent correct. And I find that the school system, they they teach you just enough to become a servant for the system.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right.
0: You know, my son, um, you know, he wants to become a doctor. He, he wants to be a plastic surgeon. I'm like, okay, well, you, you got to go to school for that. Right. I could teach you. I could teach you about real estate. I could teach you about money, how to, how to create wealth. But if this is what the you want to do, you want to help people. I can't teach that to you. You need to go to school.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then in addition, I just had a podcast with a, a Deepak, who's like the number one uh, rhinoplasty uh, surgeon in probably the world, um, based out of L.A. And he's really—I mean, he's an amazing. He's—he's he's a non-scar, so he does it does uh, rhinoplasties through the inside rather than ripping, going up, and, and doing it. And um, I mean, he probably makes. I don't know, 20 plus million a year. Um, and in um, and, and Beverly, his office in Beverly Hills. But, you know, he's an entrepreneur more than anything else. So, I mean, he masters craft first. Um, but then now, you know, he's an entrepreneur because he has to focus on marketing, um, you know, himself. He has to, you know, he's on all those like shows botched and, you know, all those uh, shows, which obviously that has nothing to do with his skill set, but that's to do with his marketing, right? Um, and and then now he's also investing in other doctors, you know, and basically helping them set up practice. So he's scaling something that's unscalable, um, which, you know, for a doctor, you can only make as much as your time allows you to make because you have to be physically doing the work. Right. So, so there's, so for your son, there is also an aspect of entrepreneurship in it, especially in plastic surgery, because plastic surgery is an elective surgery. So my dad's a surgeon, but. He's a, a general vascular surgeon, so he's the surgeon that you go into you know blood vessel pops or you know you gotta get something happens with your your appendix or you know stuff like that. So he's just getting fed cases by the hospital mm-hmm. compared to with plastic surgery. the hospital's never going to feed you any cases unless somebody has like severe burns or you know something like that. So you have to you have to be an entrepreneur to be a plastic surgeon.
0: How did the experience as as a young person selling these chocolate bars? how did that experience change your mindset to not ever wanting to work for somebody?
1: So my parents did a really, really good job in raising us at the time. We probably could, my sister's entrepreneur as well. She owns a law firm. Um, And, um, and so, and then my brother owns a bunch of real estate and owns a couple of businesses, but neither one of my parents are really entrepreneurs. So um, I mean, my dad had his own practice. So he's kind of an entrepreneur in a sense, but you know, I wouldn't, you know, I would list him as an entrepreneur, but um, he does have entrepreneurial mindset in a sense. But um, I think what they did was, you know, obviously, when you grow up and you have um, people that are around you that are going to be like, you know, my parents, friends and, you know, their friends are doctors. And then you have the doctor's kids and, you know, they're driving a Mercedes at 16 and all that. We had none of that. So, you know, my, my first car was almost 15 years old. Um, you know, those are the, those are the, so for us, we were around wealth without actually experiencing that wealth. Um, and my, my, you know, my, my parents are very humble. Um, so, you know, my dad, I bought him a, a new seven series, which is his dream car a couple of years ago for his birthday. And, um, until then he was driving a Toyota Camry. And this is a guy that, you know, made, you know, half a million dollars a year for 20 years. Right. So he gave, he gave away half of his money every single year, um, you know, sending it back to Nigeria and, you know, paying people schools fees and, you know, doing stuff like that. So, so you know, for, for, for them, the way that we lived, it's like, you know, you saw wealth without touching it. So therefore, even as a kid, I wanted those things. I wanted the nice clothes. I wanted, you know, a nice car and all that stuff. So that kind of drove us to, to hustle, which is obviously the reason why, you know, the experience with the candy bars and stuff like that. Um, But in addition to that, I wasn't a bad kid, but I wasn't a good kid. Like I I got in trouble, but I didn't get in trouble for things that if we, if we talked about it now, it would be like, Oh, you know, you were a hooligan or, you know, or a thug or anything like that. Mm. Um, But it was just like, I just had a problem with following, you know, authority. So um, (laughs) I think most
0: entrepreneurs do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, so, so it's like, you know, that more than anything else is probably what, what makes it to where I would be a bad employee. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I never interviewed for a job that I didn't get, but I, you know, I've been fired probably seven times, um, back when, you know, I I started working when I was uh, 13, um, and obviously became entrepreneur at 21. So, you know, I had a good amount of job experience, um, and I've been fired for, from, you know, almost 80% of the jobs I ever had. So, and, um, you know, so, yeah. So, so that's kind of, I, I guess that's kind of the entrepreneurial mindset or, or experience or, oh, and like you said, a lot of entrepreneurs just are not good employees. Right. Yeah.
0: I, I got my, I got my sales training uh when I was about nine years old. I used to sell chocolate bars too. Um, I was, I was a shit disturber. I think, I think most kids, you know, between the ages of eight and 11 or 12, you know, they, they, they want to have fun and they're a bit of a shit disturber. And, I didn't. I definitely did not come from the lucky sperm club, and we grew up extremely poor. Um, my father walked out when I was eight years old. My mom had four kids, the youngest being one, and I was eight. And you know, he left, and we were we were left kind of just to fend for ourselves. And, um, I, I, ended up meeting this, this older man at a, at a, a grocery store and he says, Hey, do you want to, do you want to work for me after school, uh, selling chocolate bars? And what he would do is Costco, like wasn't background then, but you had these wholesale uh, grocery stores where you could go and you can buy these large candy bars. And I used to sell them for two bucks. And I used to make 50 cents uh, a chocolate bar. Now we're going back to 1980 and, um, so I don't even think you were born then, 1980, yeah. right? 36. And, and I learned how to um, have a sales pitch and be convincing from at age of nine. I used to go after school along the uh, retail stores, and then I would hit some some homes afterward and probably work till like eight o'clock at night. But back then, A, it kept me out of trouble. Um, I was in a pretty rough neighborhood. Um, and B, it put some cash in my pocket. So I, I used to make 70, 80 bucks every, every week. And back at, you know, being nine years old, that was good money, but it, it taught me uh, how to develop my skills so that later in life, I would definitely use, use these skills and, and whatever you do you have to be able to, whatever you are doing as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to sell something,
1: right? Absolutely. It doesn't matter even as, even if you're not an entrepreneur, right? I always, I tell my staff this all the time, the skill set that I teach them, which is sales more than anything else, the skill set that you're gonna need in life, regardless of what you do. So, if you're a lawyer, you have to sell it to a jury. When you, you know, want to get married, you have to sell yourself to your husband or your or your wife. Um, when you go to a job interview, you have to sell yourself. So, it doesn't matter what you do in life. Sales is by far the most important skill that you have to learn.
0: Absolutely. Tell us how how did you come about getting into the tanning salon business. Like where did the first location start? And now you've got 70. And I heard you said you your goal is to have 250. Tell us where did where did the first one start from?
1: Yeah. So we want have 250 in the next four years. Um our goal That's is amazing. Not yeah. But um so first one was Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um so I went to the University of Arkansas. So the first one's right across the street from Arkansas and the University of Arkansas. Um, and I'm actually flying out in 30 minutes um, to go and close on a building uh today in favor oh, congratulations appreciate it that's that's literally 0.2 miles from my original location mm. um so uh, my original location I sold in in that uh in that you know buyout um you know five and a half years ago so going to um to you know buy the building and, and open back up um but yes yeah, so, I mean it was just really a very, um, you know, one of my friends, he was in Tokyo with me and he asked about the same, he said basically the same question. I said, if I had to go do it again, like I didn't have any of this, having the knowledge I have right now and I did not know the success that would come from it, I would not do it. Um, So sometimes things just happen almost like in a vacuum without thought. Uh, It was more, you see, oh, well, the question he asked was, how did, you, how did your parents feel? And I was like, They obviously didn't support it. And back like two weeks after I um, signed the lease, Anderson Cooper uh, on CNN had a special about tanning and skin cancer and you know, all the stuff. And that was really big. This is back when everybody watched the news and we didn't have all these different forms of streaming and all that stuff. So, this is 2009. And um, my dad called me and one of my best friends is now like a big time corporate lawyer. And they were like, Hey, I don't think this is a good idea. Um, My reasoning for doing it was really more of a uh, immature naivete where you kind of just like, feel like, you know, at a certain age, you just feel like, Oh, you feel invincible. You feel like everything's going to work. And if it doesn't work, who cares? Right. That wasn't, I never had a thought process where it's not going to work um but if you look back at it it's like okay you're 21 years old let's say you do it to your 23 it fails who cares <laughs> right mm-hmm. those yep. kids 23 just you know jacking off and doing nothing yeah right so so it's so it's one of those things where you know it was just more of an immaturity um and and a a, a sense of like maybe almost like a cockiness where it's like oh i'll figure it out you know with zero experience to having anything in the industry, you know,
0: there's thousands of tanning salons. What makes glow tanning uh, stand out against all the other ones? I mean, I heard you say you don't like that palm tree entrance and stuff. Like you want to make it like a really classy, like spa, like, so what, what are you doing that makes your salon stand
1: out against other ones? So we are a really more of a sun spa um, then we are at tanning salon, but but tanning is is in our name. And then tanning is also um where we originally, you know, started. So probably about eight years ago we got into spa services. Mm-hmm. Our spa services are huge. So um it's automated spa services and we actually have you know just as many people who use spa services, and then we also have spray tanning, which is um which is becoming you know really big uh, for most people, especially people who do not want, you know, any UV um tanning. Mm-hmm. So we really look at ourselves um more like a sun spa, but like what things that we offer. So we all more than anything else, we offer light therapy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so light therapy is UV light, which is tanning. We have blue light therapy, which is you know helps with skin imperfections, acne mm-hmm. so that we also have red light therapy, which was um discovered by NASA, which helps with fine lines, wrinkles, um, stretch marks, acne, also any skin imperfections, as well as um things inside your body like your bones and and density and structure so they nasa used a red light therapy for the astronauts when they got back um because you know they're they were in that environment and it kind of you know hurt their muscles mm-hmm. to where a lot of, a lot of muscle at- atrophy so um red light therapy they realized that red light therapy helped with these things um so we have do we have doctors that send people to us for you know psoriasis and and different things. So we're really, really big on on um on light therapy as well as the spa services. And then obviously spray tanning is just more cosmetic. And um UV tanning, the most part is part is cosmetic, but in certain areas, you know, like if you're, you know, up in Washington State and you know, stuff like that, um, you're even doing that just for for, for your mood, because there's not as much sunlight, you know, mm-hmm. in those areas. In Tokyo, I noticed um, Every, so everybody there, and it's really more colonial, um, thinking, um, and it's colonial thinking around the world. Um, you know, I'm, I'm Nigerian by heritage and and I go there a lot. Um, I was just there a couple of weeks ago, but, um, doesn't matter if you're in a black country, um, you're in, you know, Asia in, in, um, in South America, uh, because of the, um history of colonialism where you know uh white european countries came and took over uh whatever um white is better in all societies so if you look at you know like in india the the lighter you are the higher you are in the caste system right the darker you are the worse you are mexicans the same thing um you know if you're if you're darker it, it look, one is you want to be as close to white as possible but two is if you're darker it, makes, it means that you're poor because you're in the sun you're, you're you're a laborer right you're picking vegetables in the sun so you're dark so the lighter you are the better that you are so in tokyo <clears throat> all their advertisements pretty much the people of white right um and and um and it's not that they're 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 racist because yeah, honestly tokyo is one of the one of my favorite cities and um and and the people just mind their business, um, so they don't. Nobody's staring at you. Nobody's looking at you, um, even when you're one out of a thousand. You know, or one out of like probably ten thousand black people there. Nobody's paying any attention. Nobody's bothered. It's nice, so it's not really that. It's just that, you know, it's more like ingrained after you know five hundred years of of that mindset and thinking. But my point of saying all that was, um, there's almost no sign, and Tokyo's literally straight sky rises so the sun's shining but the sun can't shine through the buildings so when you're walking the streets you almost you have for you to see the sun you have to look up but the sun never almost hits you so everybody's pale no one looks happy like (laughs) some people are sad but no one is smiling yeah (laughs) laughing a very serious society right and and they have a crazy amount of suicides and then if you look yeah, they have crazy amount of suicides. U- you-
0: UK UK has a high suicide rate too because it's very gloomy all the time there.
1: Yes. So my, my mom was born in, in London. I'm a, I'm a British citizen as well, and you know half my family lives over there. And I go to the UK a lot. And if when you go to the UK, it rains every two hours for like five minutes and then stops, but it's very gloomy. Um, there's there's just like that. Um, uh, if you if go within the states, Washington State has the highest you know suicide rate. Uh, per capita. Um, same exact thing. There's barely, the sun only shines for, I don't know, it's like 60 days a year, something like that. Right. So <clears throat> my point of saying all that, right. The long winded thing is, is that light therapy would help. That's the society in Japan would help um, in Washington state. And a lot of people in Washington state actually do use it for, as like an antidepressant. Um, but, and, and after COVID, we had a lot of really bad press on tanning for probably about 20 years, um, from COVID, we've had a lot of really good press. Um, mm. because people, you know, Trump at one point was talking about UV lights or whatever. And then, um, people were realizing that vitamin D deficiency was huge and was part of, you know, um, a lot of the sicknesses. Yes. And, and, and their lack of an immune system. Yeah. So, so because of that we've actually had an uptick um because we've had 20 years of losing customers and all these you know under 18 bands and all that so people started tanning when they're 14 15 16 years old and then they just continue it on so that our average customer, the age of our average customers continue to go up um because if you didn't tan when you were younger what would make you tan start tanning at 30 right yeah, yeah. so so and that was a concerted effort Um, by the people in power to kind of, you know, get phase, phase out tanning, but we're realizing that, um, you know, UV lights and, uh, and, and the, what we're selling is the same thing that you get when you walk outside. The only difference is that it's regulated compared to unregulated. It's almost like, would you rather drink water out of a stream or out of a bottle? Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I
0: think the technology, even with the beds, I mean, I mean, I, I go back to when I used to compete and I was tanning probably every other day to get that base because, you know, before you step on stage, you got to put the dark cream in because the darker you want on stage with the lights, the more your muscles shadow and you look tighter and more fuller. And I was constantly tanning. And I remember beds going, gosh, we're going back 30 years ago. And some of these beds, man, they, they were not, they were not the the best thing
1: for your skin. So. You know, so they were figuring it out. I mean, tanning was just invented in the eighties. So a guy named Doctor Doctor Wolf, and I mean he just died like a year ago maybe. So, so so I mean that's how that's how new the technology is in a sense. Um, so so that's that's um, you know that's kind of, you know we've been it, it's the technology because it, it, all of our beds are made in Germany, and the technology and and where we're going with these with these beds are amazing. The issue is that. You know, previously, the beds were like almost like a wood structure with UV lights, you know in it, and, and, it's, and it's constantly progressed, but what it was before was not um, very good for the skin. So we're basing all of our research and science and our conclusions based off of what it was twenty years ago, not what it is today. Um, and what it is today is actually good for you compared to bad because people just don't get as much sunlight as they should. Um, it's different. If you live in Florida, you don't really need to go tanning. Right. Um, do you live in Canada? You probably do. You oh, God, in- it's it's fine.
0: Fa- it's fucking gray every day. Like my wife, we had to take off. We went to the Dominican for 10 days and you know, as soon as my wife gets off the plane, she's like my mood, my mood has changed. The moment we come back into Canada, it's like, we, we've been back. Um, we got back on Saturday night and it's been fucking gray every day. And it's like, my wife goes, can we just leave? Can we just get on a plane and go back someplace? Like I need some sun. It's just, it, it even just alters your mood. It could be minus 10 degrees Celsius, which would be minus 20, like 12 degrees Fahrenheit. As long as it's sunny though, it's like your, your whole mood shifts.
1: Yep. 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 So it's it's so
0: important to get those UV rays and the sun. Absolutely. So with all these, you have currently over 70 locations. How do you find good people to run your locations?
1: Um, yeah, so that that's that's a good question. So um, I believe in a, a bottom-up approach compared to a top a top-down. Um, so you know we just get people that, and also bottom-up. I mean, uh, as an entrepreneur or as a, as a business owner, a bottom-up is always gonna be cheaper too. So it's so it's getting people that are on a lower lower level and and basically training and scaling them up to leadership. Mm-hmm. prepared to try to seek out leadership. Because um, if you seek out leadership, you have to find people with experience, people with experience cost more money rather than you you being the person that's helping train them. But in addition to that, um, typically people have uh, management experience, always want to bring that experience and say, well, my last job, we did this. Well, for me, I don't give a fuck what you did at your last job. This isn't your last job. So, um, so for us, it's more like you know, we train you on how, what we expect of a leader, what we expect of an employee. And on top of that, if you get to, let's say the pinnacle of leadership in our company, which would be going from, and, you know, uh, a consultant to a senior consultant, to an assistant manager, a manager, an area leader, area manager, and then a DL that's six positions. So, you know, for you to get to a DL, in my opinion, you have to have had worked all six of those positions so you can understand what the expectation is in every level. Um, so, so I strongly believe in that, and and that's really how we find it. And then from from a DL, you can move up to ownership. Um, we have a program called you know the Own Your Future program where we link investors. We have we probably have about well, it's not probably we do have over a thousand applications a year for people who want to franchise. Uh, last year, only approved five. This year, we approved fifteen. Um, and really, um, the reason why we don't approve people, the two reasons why is, is, uh, number one, um, they don't have an operator and they think that it's going to be a passive investment, but it's not. Um, and then number two is, um, a lack of funds, but the, the number one is the, is the more important because, you know, somebody has a net worth of, you know, $2 million in liquid cash of a half a million, they can open a store. Um, and, you know, we're SBA approved franchise, so. We've never been denied financing, you know, for a store. So we can get anybody a store if they make over, you know, 100 100 grand a year. Um, But, you know, the question is, if we get them a store, you know, who's going to operate it? And they're going to want to keep their day job. And they say, oh, I'll just hire somebody. And it's just like, we're we're not, it's not that easy. Um, It could be that easy if we were some of these other franchises. Um, But we have a very, very high... um, level of expectation when it comes to how our stores are run and to keep that brand integrity. Um, you know, we're big on the operation. Uh, we're not looking for somebody just coming and say, just open stores. Um, we're looking to make sure that if you go to any store, just like McDonald's, if you go to any, you know, McDonald's in America, the big Mac tastes the same. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's the same thing. We want to make sure that, you know, our, our service, um, and, and the quality of, of uh, product that we put out is the same regardless of where you go.
0: I think that's a really great structure. Um, promoting from within, and the people that are coming in at an entry-level position, they they have this idea that there is opportunity for growth, and they can move up in the company. It's not like, oh, I'm just starting in the mailroom, and I'm never going to move up, and I'm this is where I'm going to be stuck, and there's there's just no motivation. So I, th- I think the business structure that you have Obviously, it's working, and I think it's a really great opportunity for, for people to move up into a management and future owners. So I, th- I think that's think what you're doing is I think if more corporations did that, like what you're doing, I think they'd have a lot more loyal people than just job hopping from you know company to company. I get this a lot too. Um, guys say they want to become entrepreneurs because they see the fancy car, they see the nice watches, they see, you know, entrepreneurs flying private. What really is the reality? Because that's, that's not, that's, this is like, I've been an entrepreneur for more than 25 years. You've been uh, in your business for, you said more than what, 15 years. You've had your, uh, yes. you yeah, right. Um, but you also, you know, had this entrepreneur spirit as when you were younger. That is not reality what most of these guys see. Why don't you tell our listeners what the true reality is of being an entrepreneur?
1: Flying private, um, and and doing and doing these these things um can be, you know, the actual reality, but that's my reality today. That's not the reality of how I got here. Yeah. Right. So so it's like if somebody looks at it. Um, you know I probably take I don't know probably 20 trips out the country a year, um, you know at, at least once to twice a, a you know a month you know somewhere. Um, but that was not my reality when I started and what people see is they see everything that you have now they see um, you know the the you know the nice cars, the house, the watches, uh, the trips and all that. And they want those things. So they want to be in the position you're in, but they don't see what it took for you to get to that position. And the reason why is because the struggle, the the hustle and the grind is not as marketable as the end result. Mm-hmm. So if you were putting on there when you were, you know, worth negative um, 200,000, um, your net worth was negative 200,000 and you're just hustling, grinding on your way up to success, no one's following your page. No one is uh, paying attention to that. If you put the hustling, if you're, if you now have made it and you have the lifestyle, like the best content, business content is lifestyle content. Yeah, and, you know that's that's the content where you're, um, you know, on the jet, um, you're buying the new car. You know, people like to see those things. But if you had the content where you're, you know, fielding uh, 20 phone calls. Um, and you're you know doing all those things no one cares to watch or see those things even for my content personally the content that is my best content gets the fewest amount of uh, engagement um so so it's like you know if i'm like yesterday posted about um and i have guys that manage my social media so you know i i I film uh -hmm. once every you know couple months and then they kind of clip it up and 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 we'll post it for the next you know two months or whatever but like, you know, yesterday was one about franchising and about the Quiznos saga, or whatever. That's an amazing post. That's amazing content Um, giving examples and things that uh, any person who's interested in business would want to know about. Engagement very low. If I post, if I, you know, go post about going to buy a Maybach, engagement very high. You know, probably 10 times as many views, uh, 40 times as many comments. You know all that is a ton of shares and reshares and all that because that's uh, what sells more than um, you know the actual meat and bones of what business is. So um, you know I've said this previously, but there's a study that showed that over 52% of um, of Gen or Gen Z, yeah Gen Z, that generation which is like 25 and younger, believe that they're going to be millionaires by the age of 25. Um when the actual reality is it's only gonna be like 001 percent will actually be millionaires by the age twenty five belief is 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 number one um that you need to be able to um to you know to achieve anything so that's good that they have the belief, but they don't have the work to, to back it up so not
0: not this generation no, <laughs> not not so. not, the, not the guys that are graduating school they do not have the work ethic no. that that I put in. You know no, 25 no.
1: years ago you no. you and i hate to, and i hate to be i hate to be because you know your generation which is generation before mine i'm a millennial i'm um, your generation um you know said the same thing about us and and at the time we were like oh because you know millennials were shit on a lot and <laughs> and um and then you know now we're in that generation we're looking back at the new generation we're like man these guys suck <laughs> you know um <laughs> and so it's like you know but the thing every generation has its pros and cons And I think the pro for this generation coming up is that they won't tolerate bullshit. Like they they very much are just like, you know, the reason why wages have gone up so much is because they're like, well, we're not working for, we'd rather just not work, right? Yeah, Yeah, That's a good and a bad thing. But at least they're getting what they consider that they're worth, right? But then at the same time, the other bad part about the generation is the same exact thing, which is that they're willing just not to work at all. Like they would just rather just not work. So we have all time low unemployment, but the economy on every metric that you scale the economy from every president that we've had, the economy is actually doing really well. But if you go to actual day-to-day living, any person you ask out there, they're gonna say the economy sucks. Mm -hmm. But the reason why the metrics are skewed and they're not skewed, like it's not like the government skewed the metrics to make themselves look good. It's just the way that we've always done the metrics it made sense and it no longer makes sense with this generation included because it goes by, unemployment goes by people seeking work, right? Yes. So unemployment's at an all time low, but there's a lot of people not seeking work. Correct. So because these people are just not, don't wanna work, it looks like unemployment's really low, but the actual true unemployment, which is people who just don't work, right, is high. Yeah. Because these people are not seeking work. And if these people are not seeking work, then there's less money flowing through the economy, which means that, you know, the restaurants are making less money. The, you know, the clubs are making less money. The, the people that work there are spending less money at, at the tanning salon and spending less money at Walmart. And, you know- It's a trickle these- down effect. The trickle down effect, yes. So so money money flows and, and the amount of money that's flowing is less um, than, than what, you know, we're, we're really real estate wise, we're going into really kind of a scary time, a great time for us who own, a scary time for people who are just starting, um, because we're getting into a permanent, um, a permanent renter society where people can't afford, you know, it's like real estate in Toronto is like ridiculous. Oh. Right. Um, so, so you're getting, yeah, yeah.
0: I I do real estate too. And I'm telling you the, the, the average, I don't know what it's like in Dallas. Like, like I see on the Instagram, I show my wife, I go, honey, look what 600,000 gets us in Dallas. And yeah, like yeah, no, six hundred thousand yeah. gets you not even a garage. Like the average price of a home in Toronto is one point five
1: million. Yeah, like it's yeah, stupid. yeah. No, that's no, it's crazy. Um, so so even for Dow- Dallas prices are you know the house I'm in right now was actually a a, a, a flip, and it sat on the market uh, for like two months. I decided just to go ahead and uh, refi and, and move in. Uh, this house probably five years ago is a four hundred thousand dollars house. It's over a million. Um, so the, it, it, it's always, it's obviously the person places that you're at, um, uh, but this is like North Dallas, which is like really nice. Mm. Um, and the houses are very middle-class homes, but are now worth, you know, over a million bucks to two mil- I have one that I close on in a week. That's a, that's a flip. Um, and it's 1.25 million, um, is what they're paying for it and, you know, bought the house for 700,000. So um, and in that house, the reason why that person sold it for 700000 is they, they bought it for like 300000 you know, 15 years ago, or 10 years ago, whatever. So that just tells you, it's just the area, right? Because it comps yeah. out. So things even in Dallas are getting ridiculous, but but ridiculous is all relative, right? Because yeah. Toronto, California, Dallas prices are are cheap, right? Um, but it, but it's all relative. you go to Arkansas, you can find this same house right here for $400,000, $350,000. So it just depends on where you're at, but either way, I mean, the wages also follow. Wages in Toronto are higher than the wages in Dallas. Wages in California are higher than the wages in, in Dallas. The wages in Dallas are higher than the wages in Arkansas. So we're getting into where people are getting into a permanent renter society where you can't afford because the people are buying that house that, that you know, closing on in, in a week. Um, they're putting $400,000 down on the house. Who has $400,000 to go buy a house, you know, nowadays?
0: Not many people.
1: Exactly. So, you know, and even if you go to a cheaper house that's, you know, half a million dollar house, more than likely you still need twenty five thousand, thirty thousand. Those people most people don't have twenty five, thirty thousand dollars saved up. They're, well here know.
0: here you gotta put twenty percent. Like I mean, listen, if you if you're gonna be buying a home, we have a couple of different laws. Um, if you're buying uh if you're putting less than twenty percent down, that home has to be under a million bucks because it has to get insured by the bank, right? Yep, yep. So yep. If it's over a million, you got to put 20%. Nowadays, there's not a lot of people that are sitting with 200K in their bank account or, or, or even in their investments. So
1: it's yeah, exactly, and that's my point. So we're getting to a permanent renter society. Yep. Um, so, so, so for investors, it's great for um, normal person. It's, it's really bad. Um. So, but that's kind of, you know, just where we're at and where we're getting to. I'm going to, I know you got to go, you got a
0: flight to catch I just want to, um, ask another uh, question or two. Um, what, what mindset, what did it take for you to scale from one location to 70 location and what's going to be the mindset for you to go to 250 locations in four years?
1: Um, more than anything else, honestly, it's just belief. So like, if you see it and you believe it and you put the work in anything's possible. So that that's, that's, that's a, really the only answer.
0: I know you're really big on goal setting. Tell us, how do you set your goals?
1: Yeah. So, so, um, so the rest of my goals, I set uh, five, three and one year goals. Um, anything past five years to me, you're just procrastinating. Um, so, you know, a five year goal is a big overarching goal. So, um, you know, a year, a year ago, the five year goal was 250, 250 locations. So, am you know, four years left in that goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then, you know, a year ago, a personal goal was to to get a jet, right? In the next five years. And, and that will have, both of these goals will be achieved. Um, and then the three-year goal, more of a mid, mid-range, um, okay, you know, what is almost like a, a middle point of achieving those goals, right? Um, and then uh, the, the one-year goal is like, okay, well, what can I get done this year? And those are the goals that I, I really list out every single year. So it's like, what am i ticking off like the that's personal and professional what am i ticking off that are the goals that i have to achieve and i stick to those goals so i don't let i'm really big on focus so it's like if something is not within my goals then i'm not going to do it i don't care how good the opportunity is if you came to me right now and said hey i got these 10 homes in Toronto and um it's going to be $250,000 for all 10 but we know that we can flip it and we're gonna make 2.5 million. We're gonna 10 X our money. And we know for 100% a sell. I wouldn't do it. Cause it doesn't matter how good the opportunity is. I already have goals that I have, they're already set. And I would just say, hey, that's an amazing opportunity. Let me know if that opportunity is there at the end of the year. And I'll add it to my goals for next year and I'll get that done. But I stay very focused on whatever it is my goal is. And so it's a singular focus on the things that need to get done and making sure I achieve those goals. And I try to achieve them you know, within six months of the year and then finish up, you know, kind of, kind of clean up what needs to be cleaned up. And sometimes if, you know, it's a couple of years ago, I realized, hey, maybe my goals are too easy because I accomplished it by like June of the year. Last year was the first year that I did not accomplish my, all my goals within that calendar year. So I had to bump some of them. I'm going to achieve them, but I didn't achieve them within that calendar year, which means that, I made good goals because if you achieve all your goals, then you probably, your goals weren't good enough.
0: You, you got to set bigger goals. Exactly. Uh, I always say, you know what, if, and that's a good point. Um, you said you achieved most of your goals, you know, halfway through the year means your goals weren't big enough. Absolutely. They weren't scary enough. And so um, I've, I've always been of a belief system that if you aim for the Eagle, you bag the pheasant and you'll never eat crow again. I like that. Aim oh. high if you don't get there, at least you're, you're close there. You're, you're, you may not have hit the Eagle, but you're somewhere there, but you're not down here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right. I, like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, how can people follow you? Um, so yeah, so, so sweat underscore millionaire on, on um, TikTok, Instagram, and I believe Facebook as well. Um, but yeah, that's it.
0: Years ago you had a mentor. Do you, are you doing any mentoring for people that are looking to become entrepreneurs?
1: Just started, um, so I, I believe it's, it's so new that I that I, I'm not even sure what exactly what the website is. But if they go to my Instagram. There's a free um, checklist and that kind of you know gets you like kind of in the funnel. Um, but but yeah, so the the so I have a course on commercial real estate, also just like a free one on delegation, and then one on uh, GCing, so becoming your own general contractor. Um, and then we also have like a mastermind where you know all these people can. I'm um, kind of going into the community with other people. So, you know, there's so many people over the last year that are like, hey, will you please mentor me? Please mentor me. And I was, I was like, hey, some people I took on, i am never charged for mentorship ever. But there's yeah. such a, such a, you know, a outcry that, that is kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, well, let me, you know, offer something, put something together that has so much value. Yeah. Uh, because for me, I make so much money doing what I'm doing that, um you know, I've always um, actually, kind of
0: giving back, right? Kind of more of a giving yeah, back. Yeah.
1: I've always looked negatively on the coaching and, and the mentorship stuff because a lot of those people make more money on their coaching mentorship than they do on the actual craft that they're coaching, mentoring about. Um. So, but, but, you know, a couple of my friends were like, hey, you should really do this. And, um and, and obviously, um you know, it makes sense. And if I'm taking my time, then, then, you know, I have a team that's, you know, creating the content and, you know, managing everything that they have to get paid as well. So
0: if you didn't catch it, it's sweatpant_millionaire underscore millionaire, please follow him on Instagram because this guy's got some really good content. He talks a lot about uh, becoming an entrepreneur, what he's done in his business, um, he talks a lot about the real estate side. We didn't, get a, we didn't get a chance to touch on the real estate, but maybe that's another opportunity for you to come back on the show and yeah. talk about the real estate because you're really big on the commercial side. You're big. I, I, you just started uh, doing some of your own GC work and uh, you're big on the residential side and this show talks about real estate too. So maybe there's an opportunity we can, we can have a discussion around that. So guys, please go, swallow, uh, sorry, go follow SweatPant underscore millionaire. Thank you so much for your time. I know you got a jet. Um, guys, don't forget to subscribe. And, uh, if you like this show, share it with others. Anyway, that's all for today. So take care of your wealth and your health.